I am going to read for us this morning. Uh, Donna Garrett graciously agreed to read this passage, and then I reread the passage a couple times and realized there's about as many hard names in this passage as anywhere in the Bible. So I told her I would take it, and I'm not going to read those names, all right? So I'm going to, I'm going to chop and go here a little bit, um, but uh, this is Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 47, without a handful of names, okay? Would you guys stand with me for this? We usually stand when we read the word. They stood in the days of Nehemiah. Let us stand. This is verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. The musicians were also or sorry, the musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba of Azmuth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people on the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go on top of the wall, and I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. Here's a bunch of the names of the priests. Go ahead and say them out loud in your head. Um, To the dung gate, we'll go down uh, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David On the ascent to the wall, passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the Tower of Ovens, which is where they made the pizzas. (laughs) I think Jonathan said that. To the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, to the Genesha gate, the fish gate, the Tower of Haniel, and the Tower of a Hundred, As far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs gave thanks and then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half of the officials, as well as the priests. And then a giant list of hard-to-name priests, right? The choirs sang under the direction of Jezariah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and the gatekeepers, according to the commandments of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside portion for the other Levites 
And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. This is God's word. All right, have a seat. All right, I'm going to need some help. We have some third to fifth graders in here. Raise your hands if you're a third to fifth grader. I need you to come up here quickly, right now, all right? All right, you need two of these, all right? Y'all, this might be the biggest mistake I've ever made. Or possibly a wonderful illustration. All right. All right, I want you to here. Take two. Yes? Keep coming. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. Everybody needs two. Two. Any? Oh! <laughs> and if you're a K through second grader, Polly and Zach are in the back. Would you please go with them? All right. Thank you, Polly. I'm. <laughs> Thank you. All right, who doesn't have one? All right, real quick, lesson and symbols, right? Watching? Right here, hold them like this, go like this. All right, all right, back to your seats. Go, 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 go. No, no, take your symbols. <laughs> I'm have you come up here to do that just for a minute. <laughs> I love it. Oh, is that it? All right, here's the deal. Every time I say joy in this sermon, I want you to hit those symbols, all right? Again, this could be a huge mistake, but <laughs> every time I say joy, so two things we're going to talk about in this passage, <laughs> yeah, the nature of joy and the response to such joy, all right? The nature of this joy and the response to such joy, <laughs> yes, this is... What I imagine. <laughs> the nature of this joy. So what's going on here in this passage? The wall is complete, right? That's what it says at the very beginning. This was the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. We've just studied 9 and 10, which is where they're confessing their sin, they're recommitting, and they're renewing their covenant relationship with the Lord, right? They're committing to walking in the ways that he has called them to in the Mosaic law. The temple worship is being restored. And the whole picture of these last three chapters is kind of culminating in this moment. And this is what? This is a serious celebration. And the byproduct of all of this was joy. Yeah. And it wasn't just a joy that's kind of like, oh man, I'm so excited. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit myself here. It was a joy that was noisy and that others heard from far off. That's what it says right there in verse 43. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Now, for that to be said, there must have been reports from afar, right? That that joy was so great that people heard it from afar. They had posted on next door, right? We heard, we heard the noise. Like I went and got invited to go to a Titans game a few weeks ago, and I was late because I was here. It starts at noon, right? And I was getting there about midway through the first quarter, and as I was walking across, because you can hardly get there, someone dropped me off relatively close, you could hear the stadium, right? 
planes had already flown over and people were freaking out. I don't know what happened, but there was so much noise that it, I, was, I was literally probably still a mile away and I could hear it and feel it. And what did it make me do? It made me want to run in there as quickly as possible because I did not want to miss what was going on. It was that kind of joy that was happening in Jerusalem. What was the nature of that joy? Well, it says there that it was a God-given joy. (laughs) Well, everybody's going to talk to me about this afterwards, aren't they? It isn't something that they gave themselves. It didn't have its origin in their will or in their work. It was something that God gave to them, is what this says. That's important because, yes, they had worked hard. If you've been on the journey with us through this book, there has been a ton of hard work. There has been a ton of risks that have been taken in order to see this project of rebuilding Jerusalem through. The fact that the wall was completed, the fact that they were in the position that they were in right then, that the city was secured, that the temple was rebuilt, that the worship of the Lord was actually reestablished, all in a period of 52 days, is what Nehemiah says. This wall dedication, this ceremony, this proclamation of what has been done is first and foremost a proclamation of God's dedication to them, not vice versa. That's what the great joy was about. It was a joy that God gave them because where they were in that moment in time, standing in that place, the fruit of that was not first and foremost what they had done and what they had accomplished. It was what God had done and what God had accomplished for them. They were experiencing something, and it was this, a God-given rejoicing, right? He was rejoying their heart. Because isn't that true? I mean, that should be true. I hope it's true. I even hope it's true this morning. When you see or you experience or you taste the truth of what God has done for you, isn't joy a proper response? Yeah? And it should stop us and, and cause us to ask this question. If joy, yeah, hit them. If joy is rare, then is it possible that I'm actually disconnected to his dedication to me? Is that what I'm experiencing? That if I'm not experiencing joy, then that means I'm actually disconnected from what God has actually done for me, from his love for me. So let me ask us this, if it's a God-given joy, is joy true of your life, true of our lives as a community, right? Is joy what we're known for? Is our church noisy in that way? It is right now. Many churches, sadly, are not known for that, right? Many churches are sadly known for conflict. Many of our relationships are known for disunity or for grumbling. Uh, We live in a world that I would say advertises and sends and puts in front of us images all the time 
that basically preach a different message to us, and that's this, that God hasn't done enough for us yet. But worship, what they're doing and what we're doing right now, actually advertises and has us step into the experience of what God has done for us, right? Thanks for what he has done and he is doing. It was a God-given joy. Secondly, the nature of this joy, all right, and I'm struggling. All right, hold them, hold them tight. I'll let you go like real hard at the end here. I didn't anticipate the effect of this on me. It's a God-given joy. Secondly, it's a community-driven joy. Yeah, we've already gone over the ledge. Keep going. It's a God-given joy, and it's a community-driven joy. The joy that they were expressing, the joy that they were experiencing, it wasn't an individual joy. It was a corporate one, and it required gathering. Okay? You can't miss that in this text. Their joy wasn't in their own individual situations, but in what they had collectively received and experienced at the hand of God. And so their celebration, it reflected and it required that, right? It unified them. Their celebration unified them in what they all shared and what they all had in common. God has done this for us. Remember what we read there at the beginning, the Levites, what? They were sought out from where they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate, right? The musicians, right? They were brought together. Regional musicians were brought together. The leaders of Judah, they formed two large choirs, which is what I'm announcing today, that this is the beginning of our choir ministry. (laughs) Kidding. No, this is the cantata moment of the Old Testament, right? Two large choirs, Ezra, right? Women, children. The picture here is this, this, that what was happening Everyone had to be there and be a part of it to make it what it was. It was less than what it could have been if everyone wasn't there. Does that make sense? This kind of joyful noise, another way to say that is this, isn't possible without a crowd. I was watching and reminded of um, in 2016, I'm a World Cup soccer fan. Uh, I'm a soccer fan in general. The Euro 2016 Icelandic team. Iceland is a very, very small country, right? Uh, Viking country. Uh, but they, were, they kind of became famous, infamous almost in 2016 because of this Viking clap that they would do before and after every game in order to kind of inspire confidence and stir the hearts of their players and unify them, Right? And this became something that spread, it went viral everywhere. I want you to see this. And I want you to imagine, this is, do you have the clip? This is when they came home and celebrated. So they made this deep run into Euro 2016, where they made it to the corner finals, eventually got beat by France. But anyways, this is what happened in their hometown when they came back in 2016. Is that going to work?
goosebumps moment, right? Imagine if only 30 people showed up when the team came. Imagine if 30 people were in there going, ooh, and clapping their hands together. You wouldn't feel the same, right? Well, let me, let me just encourage this. Let me get really practical for us, this body of people right now. Um, last week I talked about would you, in, in the same way that the Israelites, they were recommitting because they understood what the Lord had called and done in their life and, and giving them Jerusalem back. They understood his grace and his mercy and that. They were recommitting themselves to the Lord. I called us, would you, would you recommit to being here on Sunday mornings, right? And not commit out of shame, uh, not out of obligation or duty, but really commit from this place the knowledge that being rejoyed with the body, rejoyed together with the body in God's dedication to you is good for you. That it's good for you to be with the body and to have your heart rejoyed and experiencing how dedicated he is to you. We commit to being here because it's so good for you and it's so good for others to have you here. I'll talk about that here in a second. I actually, another Titans game, all the illustrations are Titans, so just get settle in football. I had a ticket to the Music City Miracle game. 1999, I believe, AFC Championship, Bills versus Titans, right? I was working at Christ Presbyterian Church. I was on the youth staff there. We had church that morning, and then I actually went and just crashed at a person's house and ate out of their fridge and didn't go to the game. I remember sitting on the couch, literally, I can't remember what leftovers I was eating, and Frank Wycheck threw the pass to Kevin Dyson, and you started to realize, oh my goodness, this is going to happen. They're actually going to score this touchdown, and I'm standing in this person's living room, screaming like, go, go, food's flying out of my mouth and everything, and he scores the touchdown, and what Immediately, I had this, this dreadful sense of, oh my gosh, I could have been there. I'm, I'm, people are hugging each other, kissing each other, and snotting all over each other. It's like, oh my gosh, the time's right. And I had forfeited it all because I just simply didn't feel like I wanted to take the effort to drive downtown and go to this game. Would you dare to believe, uh, like, that every Sunday when, when we don't commit to being together, that it's hard for us to believe that we actually could be missing out on something like that, right? That practically, would, would you think about this? What was happening for these people in this time, it happened because they were all together. And so we commit not just to getting here, right? To experience God's dedication to us. What would we commit when we get here? Okay, Lord, I want to engage with what's going on here because you're trying to stir me back to the place of experiencing the joy of what you've done for me. Engage with what's going on because if we are not in the presence, I know this is, is, you could get lost in shame here, please don't, but if we are not experiencing worship regularly in the presence of other saints that God has done great things for, then we are missing a part of the experience of what God has for us. And, and, and this is going to be a strong sentence, we are robbing others of the experience God has for them. Like, I've never, I've heard people say, man, I hate it that I missed church on Sunday. I hate it that I missed it. 
It's true. When we miss out on being in worship, we miss out on something that is good for us. But I've never heard anybody say this. Man, I hate that I missed worship because I know that my presence there could have had an impact on somebody else's experience of the Lord that morning. Just want you to th- just think about that for a second. Think about the, the fact that, of course, if I didn't show up to preach, that would affect things. But if you aren't here, the body isn't what the body is. Scripture says that we teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? It's a part of being a part of the body is what not just we take from being here, but what we give by being here, right? So the nature of this joy, it was a God-given joy, and it was a community-driven joy. And the effect of that was what? There was a response. There was a response to such joy. They gave joyfully, right? At the time, men were appointed to be in charge of storerooms for contributions and for first fruits and tithes from the fields around the towns they were to bring into the storerooms, the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. And it goes on to talk about they gave, they gave, they gave. What's happening? Well, they gave to the thing, they responded to the thing that continued to bring them into the joy of what God had done for them, right? Their dedication, right, they dedicated things to the Lord. It flowed out of God's dedication to them. It was a natural response. It gave them joy, and they joyfully gave to the continuation of what gave them joy. And that isn't a foreign concept for us. It shouldn't be. Don't you and I, I know I do, I freely give towards, I dedicate resources towards what my heart most deeply enjoys, right? I'm free to do that. And that is what is being displayed here. It's not begrudgingly giving, right? They were glad to give. And their dedication to give flowed out of God's dedication and their experience of God's dedication to them. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians to the church, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, right? So he's saying, I want you to be giving out of a place of your heart being moved, that your heart is decided, that it's been shaped and moved, right, to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. The word there loves is the word agape. It's the unique word for God's love for us. And we kind of read that and think, okay, if I give cheerfully, that means God will love me. That's not what that's saying there. It's literally saying when you cheerfully give, it's because you know that God loves you. You've experienced God's love for you. God loves a cheerful giver. You can't be a cheerful giver without being loved by God. And so why can we be a cheerful giver? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times you have all you need so that you will abound in every good work. So we can be those who give, who respond joyfully. Why? Because of the abundance that we have received and the abundance that we have promised to us. He promises we will have all we need. I don't know about you. Sometimes I struggle to actually believe that. The Lord has supplied and given me everything I need to abound in every good work. 
So how's our, how's our joy? Be a good question for you to wrestle with this week. What's robbing me of joy? Where are the places where I don't have any? Lord, where do you want to meet me in that place? Maybe you need to, and maybe you need to ask. David had to pray for this, right? Lord, would you restore me to the joy of my salvation? Would you reconnect me with your great love and your great dedication to me? Because when I connect with that, when I remain in him, the fruit of that, just like the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's all a part of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. The fruit of that will be joy. And would you dare to believe? And would you take me up on this? Would you take you up on this? That a big part of why we gather every single week for worship is for us to experience afresh the Lord's dedication to us. That I and you need, we need one another, we need his word, we need these songs, we need these sacraments, we need all of that to experience his steadfast love for us. Because when we experience that, that is what it means to experience the joy of the Lord being your strength. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, Sometimes I, I feel ashamed at how little joy I feel. Lord, uh, there are so many days where my life is more marked by grumbling uh, and complaining. And, and joy is so far away. Lord, I pray, um, I know worship does this, but I know small group does this. I know time with you just in your word and time alone does this. I pray for us that we would be a community that would be noisy in this neighborhood uh, with the joy of what you've accomplished for us. That people uh, who run into us uh, would say, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a fruit of the Holy Spirit in this person's life, a joy and a peace and a confidence um, that I want to know something about. So would you make us into a community that is marked by that, that is marked by this joy, by this celebration, uh, that is this unified um, concert of praise to your goodness. Uh, Lord, we know uh, that uh, that wouldn't happen uh, without your, your spirit at work. This is the fruit of your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, would you continue to uh, work and move uh, in us as a body Um, and use these times, would you use these times uh, to really deepen our joy in what you've done. In your name, amen.